Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to the Marriage is Tougher Than Woodpecker Lips podcast. This is Brian. And I'm Paul. We'd like to welcome you to a community meant for the men of the world to share our thoughts and perspectives on marriage. We can learn from each other's experiences and help each other be better husbands. Now, let's get right into the show. Today's episode, we talk about kind of the stigma around mental health for, for guys. One of the things that impacted me was it allowed, this conversation allowed me to think about how different cultures view and shape therapy, and it depends on where you grew up and what culture you grew in, those hurdles that you have to overcome to be comfortable with going to counseling. And I also talk about my path from the thought that there's nothing wrong with me to breaking down some barriers, actually seeking help and being on the other side of it, how much better of a husband and father I can become because I now have some tools to do that. So for the rest of the conversation, keep listening. This uh, commercial I saw for BetterHelp gave me the idea that we should have a conversation about this. Um, they, they were talking about the stigma of seeking mental health help. And it was, it was a funny commercial because there was two guys in the gym. The other one looks over at the other guy and he's laying on his back on the bench, right? And he's got a bar just laid across his, his chest. And he, he looks like he's sitting there pondering life. So the guy goes over to him. He's like, yo, man, you need a spot? You need some help? He's like, ah, I'll figure it out. <laughs> right? And he's like looking at the weight. He's like, oh, bro, this is a lot of weight. Like, let me help you. He's like, you don't understand. If my family finds out, this is going to be a problem for me. So, you know, he's just planning on staying trapped, I guess. But, you know, I felt it was a funny commercial to me. And it definitely sparked the thought of conversations we've had with, you know, mutual friends and conversations I've had in my own head. Right. Um, but I figured we could talk this out and maybe help even just a single listener out there get over that stigma of seeking help and, right. uh, you know, hopefully make a move to be better and, and get better. No, I like it. I'm, I mean, I was excited when he brought that up. So I'm with that for sure. Uh, so I did have a question for you cause this, you know, how my mind goes when you are, I don't want to say seeking, but, when you have men who are in premarital counseling, sinking premar- premarital counseling, or avoiding premarital counseling, <laughs> do, do you find that most men are hesitant about this? I would say, I'll say this. Most men come because their wife has signed them up. Okay. Right? Generally, that's how it happens. They're either... They know their wife wants to do it, so they're like, okay, I, you know, I love her, so I'll come alongside. Um, and some are real skeptical. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, I would say every time that there's a skeptical side, once we get into it and we start talking about it, um, they're on board. Like It might take them a while, but they get on board. And they see the value of their relationship. They see how it grows with their wife. They see how they grow with themselves. Um, So I would say to answer your question, yes, I think maybe only a couple came like, 
like maybe a couple of them, literally like two. Okay. We're like, you know, on board from the beginning. Everyone else is like real quiet, real hesitant, like, you know, or their wife will say like, he's only here because I know we need this or something of that nature. And that's like, oh, okay. So that's, that's interesting. So um, I have a couple thoughts now, like where does that transition happen? Like, are you mindful about that? And, um, is there a specific point that you get to where they're like, all right, I can see this. And then my other thought is, are they then also hesitant to like open up about certain things within, within the counseling? Yeah. So, excuse me. So what generally happens is I think they come in and they don't know how we are going to be, you know, as, you know, coaches or counselors and, um, a lot of the times I am very much uh, just the presence of having like a guy in there kind of gives them a little more ease. And once they see that, a lot of times they think it's going to be like a gang obsession, right? Like a <laughs> what's wrong with them type of deal. Yeah. But yeah. then when we just start talking about issues that couples have in our um, experiences and also once they see that we are not, um, only going to attack them or we're only going to point things out when we are going to point things out in the relationship and point out where people need to grow, whether it's the husband or the wife. I think once they see that and they see that we're objective, then they're like, oh, okay, well then this happens too and this, you know, so <laughs> it and depends on the couple <clears throat> kind of and um a lot of that does have to do with upbringing as well. Okay. Um, on what, how there can be a stigma or how people grew up is how they decide how open they are or even if they even know how to open up. So um, when you, to answer your open up question, it takes a while sometimes when people don't even, rea- when husbands don't even realize the things that we talk about, like that there are more emotions than anger, right? They, it's okay to have feelings. It's okay to want them to go away as fast as possible, but you have to just realize how to process them and how to communicate that with your wife. And I think that's the thing. A lot of times we as husbands, we don't, we might acknowledge our feelings, but we want to just push it in the back burner. Um, and even if we do that quickly, if we just communicate with that with our wives, they'll understand, oh, you have feelings and you're thinking about this and you actually feel something, everything is not just okay, or you're just not going to take care of it with like being a robot, like this is not Terminator. Like, yeah. So I think once we get that, I know it's a long-winded answer, but um, we generally get there. Sometimes it's longer than others, but we get there. Yeah. No, that's what's up, man. Because... I can't speak for all women, obviously. Uh, I just want to say for my wife, what I've found is it's desirable for her if I show my feelings, right? And that took me a while, you know what I mean? Because I kind of came from, like you said, that background where like we didn't show if we were hurt. We didn't show weakness and all these other things, right? That was, man, I got to be honest, like the, now that I'm thinking about it, the only time I really saw 
my family show any sort of weakness, vulnerability was like around death. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and I, I, mean, I guess being older now, I could see that that was also displayed in anger as well. Right. right. Like when I was younger, I wouldn't have been able to read into it that much. Now I could. Um, but what sticks out to me is, you know, seeing people cry and, uh, you know, really care for others and be methodical and thoughtful about that around, you know, this idea that someone passed. Um, outside of that, like, there were, I guess, some instances that I, but you know, even that was like, all right, we can't, we can't let the outside know this happened. You know what I mean? Um, right. And it, so that's even funnier. So now I'm wondering, and it had to have been the case, how often, like my mother, my grandmother, were was seeking, not necessarily professional help, but uh, relational help with their female friends, mm-hmm. right? Um, it had to have been happening, and I probably just didn't see it. It may have been beneficial for me to see some of that. I mean, it definitely, I think, is beneficial for the older generation to show vulnerability and how they're getting through it. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just like surface level for that, whatever age that you would be displaying it to, so that they can understand, like, you don't have to do this alone. You don't have to you know, try to figure it out on your own. You can go to other people, um, obviously safe people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and that is a way to kind of help get through whatever you're facing. Yeah, for sure. So, man, talk about this article you found. (laughs) Uh, yeah. So just thinking about this topic and having this conversation, um, (laughs) men's health uh, has this article that says 30 BS excuses why guys don't go to therapy. And it really hits everything that I've either experienced in my head, um, have heard people say in conversations or experienced, you know, in our coaching calls, like what is happening. Um, so for me, I think we we think here at the podcast, I think it's very important that you seek um, some type of counseling or coaching. And that is because we view it kind of as a, um, either a, you could look at it as another set of tools or another um, access to tools, right? Like it's either in your toolbox or it's like your neighbor's toolbox that has all the things, right? It's always good to have that neighbor that you might not need, but they have and they're willing to give it to you. So that's how, you know, one way you can look at it. Um, It's just access to something that can help you be better as a person and within your community and within your marriage. Um, First and foremost, I want to say that before we start talking about why people, um, you know, why I I have had thoughts about being hesitant um, and things of that nature. But most of these on this list are valid thoughts. Mm-hmm. 
um, that we have based on how society has, how I, I say our society, you know, in America or Western culture view men in general um, as strong, never changing, always can fix it, um, can't show things, those type of things. Um, but the top one or the first one was really just admitting that you could possibly need help um, or an outside perspective, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to say it's denial, but it's really kind of acceptance too, I think. Now you're, you're talking about the first one on the list? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, so I went through and wrote down three of them that I've legitimately said to myself in the past, and you know that was the top one on the list. So that was the first one I wrote down, but that's <laughs> it, it's simply denial in my yeah. mind, from my experience anyway. Right? It's like there's nothing wrong with me. Man, like something wrong with you. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? You always want to like right. get the attention away from yourself and yeah, redirect project it. it. You know what I mean? Like so. Uh, yeah, I've been there, man. Like, there's nothing wrong with me. Like, this is fine. Like, and it kind of goes back to that conversation we had, right? Where the way guys think is like, in the grand scheme of things, this isn't all that bad. Like, right? I could either just hold on to this, put it in my pocket, and carry it around for me with me for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. it'll, just, it'll just sit there. It'll be a little pet, or. Uh, like I, I could also just try to ignore it. Like either way, I've been getting through life so far. Like, why do I have to go pay for somebody to help me with it? Like, nah, man, I'm fine. I'm fine, man. Yeah, I'm and fine. the thing about that is, <laughs> I'm not as bad as X, Y, Z, as Joe yes. Schmo here, or you know, I don't deal with this problem that could be worse. Like we minimize what's going on with ourselves, just. One, because we don't want to admit, and two, if it's not as bad, we can't justify in our mind, why should we go share with someone else, much less a stranger? <laughs> yeah. There's levels to this. Yeah, <laughs> lots. <laughs> lots of levels. Oh, uh, man. Sure. It, so I went through, and the third one on the list hit me as well. The uh, I can't do therapy. I'm the guy who's supposed to have my stuff together. Right. Right. Like for a lot of my life, I've been the guy people have come to talk to about their problems, right? And I am not saying that I'm a professional in any way. I'm just very good at listening and I like to give my opinion. So <laughs> <laughs> I got plenty yeah. of opinions for you. Um, but yeah, I mean, men and women have always come to me and especially around relationships come to talk to me about, you know, what's what does this mean? What's this guy doing? What's, the, what's this girl doing? How do I get over this hump? Right? Like we, we were arguing and, um, I'm trying to think of this one scenario. This kid, this college kid was telling me like he was arguing with his, uh, girlfriend and he was like, she just keeps throwing so many points at me. Like I can't, I can't effectively argue with her. Right. And I was like, take notes. <laughs> <laughs> he was like what i was like i've done this before take notes and, and it'll help you practice pulling everything in together and 
once you write down all the points that she's making, you'll be able to respond to all of them. And he came back to me. He's like, Brian, that worked. <laughs> I was like, I know it did. <laughs> right. No, that's, uh, yeah, that makes all the sense for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I think my, I, I, one that stuck out to me or two that are kind of lumped together is I don't want to complain or I don't want to talk crap about anyone. Mm. Like that was, it's always in my head. Like, you know, my life is pretty good. Like in the grand, like back to the grand scheme of things. Like, I mean, you know, it's, it's really weird as, you know, my, my mind even does this as a black man, like going all the way back to like slavery. Like, listen, if my ancestors saw this, like Mm. they would be good. Even if not to slavery, like, you know, just back to like the fifties and six, like the 1950s and sixties, like, Listen, I own my own home. I'm in a nice neighborhood, blah, blah, blah. And I just list all these things. Like, really, I don't, I shouldn't complain, you know? And, you know, thinking back to like cultural things, like we, because our our culture and our demographic, you know, kind of has that built in, like started from the bottom, mm-hmm. like we have a really hard time and have fought through so much. I think we have that attitude. It's kind of ingrained in our nature. Like we have already achieved so much or it could be worse. Like it could be worse. So, you know, when you're doing well um, or you're achieving or you're at an okay place, like don't, um, or even if it's bad, like it could be worse. So make the, make the best out of what you have. I mean, Literally, we eat chitlins, like, <laughs> as a culture, like, that's making what you have yeah. into a delicacy, right? Right. So, that's built in us, like, we just take what's, and we we figure it out. Like, we don't have anyone else, but if you go back and use that example, like, that was a community coming together and figuring out, we don't have much, how do we make this taste amazing? <laughs> And I'm sure there's, you know, spices that were found, you know, aunties, grandmas coming together over one pot, trying to figure it out, sharing recipes, telling how to do it. Like, that's the thing that we miss out. We see the final product, but we don't see how how the community came together and how other resources were put in to make that a thing. So I think that's what in our, we just vacillate between we got here as black people, as a community, but now in our culture, everything is so individualistic and we don't know how to kind of always bring both together. Yeah, we're, we're not very well practiced in that anymore, especially, you know, this token that I'm about to go to, but with social media and all these things, right? It, it's like this false sense of friendship and like these people that you call your friends on Facebook or followers on Instagram or whatever, how many of them can you call and be like, yo, I need to move them out, uh, couch. Help me out. How many of them would be like, yeah, I'll be right there. Right. <laughs> you feel me? Like, so to, to pull all that together takes some thought, takes some intent. Right. And I'm trying to be more intent about that with my kids. Like let them, 
witness my friendships and witness the communities I'm a part of and you know allow them to make a decision on whether or not they want to be a part of some of these communities but you know some of them they're just going to be injected into it and this is what it is yeah right because you know, they, they need to see it but um you know it's it's funny because I'm thinking in this moment of sometimes where you're on the phone right and you're trying to focus on your phone call and your kids are like hey who is that who are you talking to or you know what I mean you're like I'm on the phone, like, mm -hmm. stop, <laughs> right? But not that they need to be a part of the conversation, but how easy it to how easy is it to tell them, like, oh, hey, I'm talking to my friend, this person. You've met them before. Like, say hi. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, right. I, I know that's something you do. Um, but we, I think sometimes far too often, like, separate our kids from our stuff and it impedes them on learning how to communicate with others, knowing that, oh, I see that my dad's going through this and he's reaching out to a friend on the phone. Like, all right, now I know that that's acceptable behavior. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think a lot of times we wait. We're like, oh, we'll, we'll show them that once they're older. Right. But like by the time they're like fifth and sixth grade, like they already have figured out what they need to do to like navigate social spaces. Mm -hmm. So at that point, it's a little late or not too late, but it would take more intentionality to ingrain in them. Yeah. So, but it's always good to mirror for sure. But the younger you can do it, the better it is, I think. Yeah. There's um, another thing that I wrote down, thinking about how someone might try to hide the issues that they're having and thinking about how, you know, you might have a friend or acquaintance approach you and say, hey, are you all right? Like, is everything, you know what I mean? So I guess the point I'm trying to make is you might think that you're hiding things well. Chances are someone in your life sees your stuff, right? Sees the issues that you're having. And it could just be because they've gone through it themselves. They've had someone else that they know that's gone through it, and they see the signs, right? They see the the indicators that you're struggling mm -hmm. in some form or another. Um, so trying to use that as an excuse to not seek help, you're, you're not fooling anybody really <laughs> is, is my point. Right. You're only fooling yourself. Right. It's more self-convincing, which goes back to – the first thing we talked about. Yeah. Like, I'm good. Yeah. I don't need it. Yep. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think my last point, not my last point, but maybe my last point, because we probably need to wrap up. Um, I don't have time. Mm. I don't have time to sit somewhere and talk about my problems. What I liked about this article is that they basically told you you're wasting time or me that I'm wasting time. So the average American, and this was, I think a couple years ago, the data, but four hours and 47 minutes on Facebook, three hours and two minutes on Instagram, three hours and two minutes on Snapchat. Yeah, this is, this is old because they don't have TikTok, but <laughs> I mean, you see like 50 minutes of like a 50 minute session or a 30 minute session, like you're just not scrolling. Mm -hmm. Like take the time to not scroll and you can do that. And with the resources that are, that are online resources, 
um, like you said, the BetterHelp commercial, or there's Talkspace, there's Seven Cups of Tea, and they're pretty affordable too. Um, but you do it from the comfort of your own home. You don't have to turn on a screen, like they don't have to see your face. So it's just like a phone call, and you just, you know, have your session, and that's it. So, and also, if you don't feel comfortable having a phone call, and you're you feel more comfortable writing, you can legitimately choose to write back and forth with the with the counselor. I know because I've done it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is amazing, you know. And, and at that point in my life, it was just easier for me to make sure I got all of my thoughts out because I could go back and read what I wrote. I'm like, oh, wait, no, I wanted to say this as well, right? Sometimes in a live conversation when you're speaking, you don't always get out everything you want to get out, right? You know, because it could be, you know, someone, especially when you make a good point or something that someone wants to focus on, they might interrupt you and, you know, for whatever reason, they, they want to focus on it, so they, they interrupt you and uh, focus on that point. But... Um, a good therapist will typically allow you to get everything out. Um, but like I said, just for me, it was easier to make sure I got everything out just by writing. No, that's that's perfect. I didn't realize that was an option, so that's an amazing resource. I'm thinking of myself. Like I would definitely love to be like, just type away. <laughs> get it all out. <laughs> write a paragraph. Read it over to make sure it doesn't sound stupid. Hit send. Yeah. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, that's legit. All right. Any last thoughts before we uh, cut this off? We're a couple minutes over, but it's all right. Yeah. I mean, I'll just say it's okay to be scared mm. of going into counseling because it's a lot of it is the fear of the unknown, which is why we're hesitant, a reason why we're hesitant on things as well. Um, but a lot of those, if you think about those things in life that you may have been scared of or you never did, um, and then it turned out to be beneficial, beneficial, I can't speak. Um, but that's literally everything from zero to 18. Like every year you went to a new grade, you learned how to walk, you learned how to ride a bike. Um, you know, obviously if you're able-bodied, all those things happen, you know, you learn how to play sports or write or draw or whatever your creative thing is. Um, you learned a new subject that you didn't know. You presented your your presentation that you had to do in school. Like all these things you didn't know how to do, never done before, but they've also helped you build to who you are right now. So if you keep that in mind, um, maybe the, the fear of the unknown will be um, a little bit less and you can jump into counseling or coaching. Amazing. Got me thinking about Will Smith and his video he made after he went skydiving where he said God puts so many things, so many of the best things in life on the other side of fear. Man, <laughs> that's a quote. Yeah. I think about it all the time because it's, it's so true. And, you know, when we were talking about counseling, think about the result you can receive from just stepping to your fear first, right? And like we talked about, just go through a little bit of the experience so you can figure out what the actual process is and then figure out that it's not so scary, right? Find out that your counselor is going to develop some trust with you, 
make you feel more comfortable. And it's not to, you know, expose your stuff to the world. It's just so they can effectively help you. So once you go through that experience and you're like, all right, so this isn't as scary as I thought it was. Think about on the other side of that. And it might be three months, six months, a year until you get through whatever it is that you're going through. But think about how much more effective of a father you're going to be, how much more effective of a husband you're going to be. Um, My path, excuse me, has helped me in the workplace as well. You know, um, I I was better able to deal with customers, you know, whether they be just upset about something or irate Mm -hmm. and yelling at me. Like it really gave me the tools to be able to communicate more effectively with people. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm still working through some things. Right. But just knowing that there were tools out there, number one, helped me. Someone giving me those tools was even better. And now being able to put them in, into practice is, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say indescribable, but it is uh, amazing just to see where I came from and t- where I am now. And then now with the podcast, I get to help other people as well. You know, like it's, I love it, man. All right. So it's not there. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. If you got any value out of this episode, we'd like to invite you to rate, follow, and review on your favorite podcast platform. If you would like to be a guest or want to have your questions answered, hit us up on our website, marriageistougher.com, or follow us on Facebook, searching Marriage is Tougher Than Woodpecker Lips. Thanks again. This is Paul. And this is Brian. We will talk to you next time.